set it all on. Yeah. What it is is what it is. Hit tonight. Hit just a few seconds if you can wait because I can't. What it is. What it is. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 184 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I am joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? I got to admit, I'm coming out of a little uh, period of self-reflection on how I view myself and and the rest of the world. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was taught a lesson today. Yeah, but are you a better man out the other side, Vin? Uh, You know, how could I not be? (laughs) <laughs> how could i not be i've been shown the light by none other than mr gabriel montoya ken amen amen how yep. how dare i think that there be corruption between a sanctioning body and a drug testing program how dare i you're a shady motherfucker then <laughs> i mean that's all i know you know what i mean stop oh. stop casting your self-pity and um your guilt for being such a shady person on me you know i want to be a good influence on my son then i woke up i'm riding in i'm like oh shit my question gets got read on the next round oh this is exciting (laughs) and gabe fires off i'm like what is this fucking guy's problem um it's called being in the alt left (laughs) um it's a it's a combination of uh moral superiority um self-righteousness self-righteousness and a dash um, a splinter of a wooden stick up your ass. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that, my friend. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, what it is is what it is. Welcome to episode 184 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com today and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. and at Vince Cummings 81. And uh, Vin, let's get right down to business. What say you? Let's do it, brother. All right. We had a junior middleweight spectacular triple header um, from, hey, none other surprise, uh, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. They just opened that, right? A bunch of Texans and Texas-based fighters (laughs) fighting in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? What better way to stoke the local fervor? You know? They packed that place, too, boy. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, Laura unpacked it. <laughs> um, but let's start with the first fight of the evening, Vin. It was October 14th, 2017. Showtime Championship Boxing from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, is the local guy from Akakeek, Maryland, Jarrett Hurd, from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, squaring off against the Texan Austin Trout for the IBF Junior Middleweight Championship of the World. Look, Vin, this was a very interesting fight in the sense, look, I think the predictions were pretty back and forth, but I don't think anybody really went so far to say that one guy was going to dominate the other guy. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, after the first four rounds of this fight, there were some people thinking that Austin Trout um, was sort of channeling himself, say, circa the Cotto fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, super excitement, like overwhelming. Oh, my gosh. Hurt is slow and done. He's done. Hey, that's the sharpest I've seen Trout in four years. Yeah, he was sharp, man. He was was accurate. But, geez, man, two things early on, Vince. 
two things early on. I sent out the tweet in the fourth round. I, I, I'm not Nostradamus Vince quite yet. <laughs> You're getting there. I'm, I am, especially after this one. But in the fourth round, dude, I sent out a tweet, and everybody's like rah-rah on, 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 on Trout. And look, granted, I, even after five, I had it four. I had it four rounds to one for Austin Trout, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. But after the fourth round, I said, uh, "Hey, Heard may be slow, but Austin Trout is throwing way too many punches, and he better be careful." Oh, he's moving way too much, using his legs more than I can remember him using almost ever. I mean, that looked like a, an Austin Trout that had turned the clock back ten years, which. Hmm. How's that happen? <laughs> but moving on from that, uh, you know, that's look, shady, Vin. Yeah, oh, that's too shady. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to cast dispersions in shade, Ken. <laughs> I mean, look, the the guy looked great, and I'm thinking to myself, God damn, I did not think Trout would be able to. You know, I thought he had a chance to win that fight and outbox Heard. I did not think he was going to do it in that fashion that he did it in the first four rounds, which was unreal. But the first time you saw that his legs were betraying him, you knew it was over. And you looked at his face about, you know, fifth, sixth round, and you're going, oh, my boy, is, uh, he's swelling up quick over there. You know, it, it, as soon as blood was drawn from what turned out to be um, a clash of heads, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on Jarrett Hurd, it was almost like you and I talk about this all the time with some of, you know, the signature fighters in the game today, the guys that really kind of separate themselves from – the middle of the pack, guys that are a little bit more uninterested in boxing, guys that maybe won't take it to that next level above sort of their mundane style and reach deep. We call it the dog. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Guys like Terrence Crawford have the dog in them. Mm-hmm. That when the going gets tough, the dog comes out, and it becomes this sort of reaction like, no, 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 you will not get the best of me. You know what I mean? I may be on a chain, but the chain's about to break loose and I'm about to bite you in the ass. You know what I mean? Right. And when Jarrett Hurd saw that blood, I saw something in him that I really enjoyed. He's not the fastest. You know, we talked no. about this. One thing I pointed out in the preview show with the Breadman, we had him on in episode 183 as our special guest, was I thought that the fluidity, sort of the calmness, the natural, just, you know, sort of off-tempo, um, you know, ability of Jarrett Hurd, yeah, it's not pretty. Um, I think that there's sort of a I don't know if it's negative if if it's positive but it's certainly misplaced uh sort of generalization about black american fighters is that they can only be good in the one two style right. and to be good in the one two style you have to be a superior athlete to whoever you're going against and i think jared hurd breaks all those molds what we do know is is that his chin may get him in trouble you know uh, sometime down the road because his courageousness his willingness to come forward during the entire fight to wear what is necessary, knowing that deep down inside, I believe it more than you do, and that what I do have will feel much more thunderous after you have gassed out. I love it from him, man, and, and it, and it kind of contradicts sort of what today's American fighter is all about. Yeah, and it's fucking refreshing to watch a guy fight that way, honestly, to see a guy that it's just a constant, you know, is it, is it a – you know, pressure that's insurmountable. No, but it is constant and it wears on you. And I, I don't know. I'm sure you noticed it. The fucking kid is huge. Yeah, he is huge. He is absolutely huge for that division. I mean, he made Trout look tiny. And he, if he can use that size and fight in that fashion and kind of fight downhill and just wear on you and pound on you, yeah. I, I you know what? He does eat a lot of shots, but as big as he is. I think he's fit to wear those motherfuckers, and he, and he knows it. 
normally a fighter that takes shots like that, they know they know what they can handle. That you know, if it's hurting them, they're not going to do it. Uh, I he, I haven't seen a fight in his last three fights where he looks scared at all to get hit because he knows you can land yours. That's fine. Eventually, I'm gonna wear you down and I'm gonna break you down and stop you. Uh, you know, Vin. Let's be honest here. Let's give a round of applause to Austin Trout and, oh, yeah. and his corner. Okay. Yeah. Because rarely do you see a combination of an aging fighter that comes out and looks as spectacular and as in command as Austin Trout did during the first four or five rounds of this fight. Okay. And to see him fall off the proverbial cliff, not saying that he's faded uh, in, in the career sense of things, but right. faded in the fight without a doubt. Yeah. For him to put on such a valiant effort, most trainers out there, and this is sad to say this, would allow their guys to carry on thinking that they may be able to kick it into fifth gear sometime in the 10th round. And I tell you what, man, the corner stepped up. Austin Trout stepped up during that entire fight. Their corner stepped up and called the fight. Rarely do you see it in boxing where a corner gets it 100% right uh, in the best interest of their fighter. And, you know, Austin Trout's had a great career. I think it's a, a, a career that has not you know, uh, gotten as much shine and spotlight um, as, say, some others, like mm-hmm. the headliner in this card, for example. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Austin Trout, uh, you know, did himself a great service. I said it in the preview. I thought that Jarrett Hurd could solidify, he could legitimize himself by putting a name, a notch on the belt, such as Austin Trout. I think it puts him right there. I think there's no doubt at 154 pounds, there's three names. I know there's two guys that are interested, but but what's very interesting is the two guys that are interested want to fight different guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared Hurd seems pretty damn fixed on trying to get that unification fight against Erzlandi Lara. And why not? Lara is tiny. He's a small guy. Oh, he, yeah. Compared to Hurd, he is. Yeah. I mean, Hurd's going to dwarf him in the ring. I, you know what? I, I As much as I would love to see that fight and, and, and everybody would love to see that fight, I'd. What what gives anybody the belief that Erislandi Lar is going to take that fight against that guy? You want this young, big, up and coming. I mean, a, a fighter that is hungry on the rise. Erislandi Lar has been cashing checks against bum, bums for two years, man. I mean, it, legitimately, I, you know, well, it's been six fights, so it's probably been six years. Now I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you heard Breadman say it last week that he thinks you know he hasn't seen much drop off in Laura. I, you know, I, I, I'm going to disagree with that a little bit. There's, this guy is not what he was at the time he fought Canelo Alvarez and at the time he was fighting Paul Williams. He, he's just not. I don't know if he cares to be in a fight with a guy like Jarrett Hurd that's going to be a grinded-out, tough fight. That's just not him anymore. It's just not. No, I agree. Um, Jarrett Hurd, dispatches of Austin Trout. They throw in the towel in the 10th round. Um, really good win for Jarrett Hurd. And yep. if you, if you, you know, Steven Espinoza has, has definitely gotten his fair share of licks on this show. There's no doubt about it. Um, but he's been pretty true to what he's wanted to do in 2017 as it pertains to buying the right fights and the right matchups at Showtime. Yeah. Putting the right, you know, Heyman guys that are kind of uh, indoctrinated into, into that cult, uh, you know, getting them their time slots. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I do believe him when he says that he wants to unify 154 in 2018, and that's fantastic. Jarrett Hurd, uh, dispatches of Austin Trout. All right, let's get to the uh, the co-feature of this. 
triple header event. This was the fight that everybody wanted to see. This mm-hmm. is the fight that got the most buzz on the lead in. Jermel Charlo defending his WBC 154 pound title against Erickson Lubin, the Florida kid. Uh, originally signed at Mike Tyson Promotions. That got disbanded, liquidated, monopolized, if you will, yeah. by Al Heyman. Uh, Erickson Lubin has kind of been in with nondescript, um, you know, as the bread man said on the show, uh, which is very true, something we've reiterated time and time again about Lubin is that while he's exciting in the prospect of what he can be, putting him in against, you know, slower, uh, sort of not even really gatekeeper level no. uh, Latino guys. I mean, these are guys. These like, are confidence builders, <laughs> record builders. Yeah, knockout makers. Yeah. Um, gets in the ring against Jermel Charlo. Oh, man, Vin. Um, I was digging in my heels for this fight. Yeah. Right? First minute and a half, minute 45 seconds go by. Boom. Fight over. <laughs> the only thing I could tweet, I just was. LOL. Hashtag Charlie Lubin. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't even know what to say. Look, I, you saw it and you were kind of in shock and then you actually thought about it and you're like, that's not shocking at all. It really isn't. No. I, I, this kid just was not prepared, not ready. And it, it speaks to a lot of fighters and there's some of them that, that get away with it and some of them that don't. But on their rise to either getting a belt or getting a shot at a belt, they are not brought up properly and that was the case here. I mean, it was just a... Lubin made it just an amateur, amateur mistake. Did it, let fucking Charlo see it, and then did it again and just left himself wide open for that shot. And, you know, you got to give the Charlos credit for whatever reason, somehow, some way, especially, I won't say this for Jamal as much, but for Jamel, the kid's turned into a power puncher, Ken. Uh, you know, I, I guess he's sitting down on his punches more. That's what I'm hearing. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, whether there could be some other shit at play here, which I think all y'all know what I'm talking about, because there was only one drug test in this fight during this camp one week before the fight. You did not clear that with Gabe Montoya before you said that then. Uh, well, I, yeah, I know. I have, to, I have to corroborate my my story with him, I'm sure. You know, he won't. He needs he needs to know the source, and it needs to be corroborated. I need to see a, a seal of approval. Well, I mean, that's the case. You can believe it if you want to or don't. I don't really give there a fuck. There was some fuck. uncommon rage. Uh, you know some uncommon rage in the uh, in the post fight. That's another thing that I that I'll bring up too. And and look, I don't want to turn this into let's take down the Charlos on here because he won the fight, and the fact is he passed his drug test, and I don't have any fact that he's doing it. But you know what, dude? Just like anything in fucking life, if there if there's smoke, there might be some fire there at some point. Uh, it doesn't just come from nowhere. So I, I am at least going to ask the question. It seems shady to me, the way the Charlo operation works. Take a look at a profile picture of Jermel Charlo and tell me how he gets a muscle the size of, I don't know what the fuck, growing on his jaw. Mm. Never seen a human with a muscle that fucking big on their jaw. It's just, there's a lot of things that just add up that are just, uh, I'm going to have to question this a little bit. Sorry. Going to have to. Yeah, they were raging. In the post fight, yeah. you know what I mean. I mean, it, it was literally like, uh, look, I, I get it. Most people just kind of took it as, oh, they're turning heel. This is great for boxing. That you know, there is sort of a reality lent to the WWE narrative that could or could not work in sort of the circus that is today's, um, you know, boxing scene. I mean, let's be honest; these guys don't fight very often, so they always have to be creative in the way that they keep their names in, right. in the loop. You and I. 
I think on this show have always been extremely fair, if not fans of both the Charlo brothers and have admired what both of them do. It is very, I guess, concerning in some way, shape or form, um, you know, to see a guy that is not known as a power puncher at all has, you know, lower than a 50% KO ratio. All of a sudden, as the talent goes up, usually when you're fighting tomato cans, and let's be honest, um, we can talk to whoever we want to that is associated with any fighter or talk to any fighter at 154 pounds. These guys don't fight often, and they don't fight one another. What they have fought is tomato cans much along the same lines of development as Deontay Wilder. Uh, nondescript bums. I mean, yeah, you can say, oh, did you ever box, Ken? Why are you calling? No, they're bums, okay? <laughs> Just like if I'm the guy that is fucking smoking cigarettes, you know, 10 times a day in the porta potty at work um, and taking up about four hours of my fucking productivity, I would be the bum at work, right? <laughs> right. So if you're the worst at your job, is it safe to say you're probably a bum? Yeah. Okay, so these guys are bums. They're not guys that put in effort. They're not no. guys that work hard at the sport. They're guys that are bagging groceries, making $12 an hour with a fucking GED, if they're a legal citizen whatsoever. <laughs> so the only opportunity to, 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 to grab a hold of $15,000 in one night is to step in with Leo Santa Cruz or the Charlo Brothers. Right. Or Deontay Wilder. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I hate to make it so fucking, like, right. I, I don't mean to make it so simple. You know what I mean? But it, it is that simple. And to go from that... So what we're seeing now, it doesn't have to be, oh, oh, but hey, you can't cast the aspersions on him. It's the same thing as saying that Manny Pacquiao's career was tainted. No. Manny Pacquiao was knocking every motherfucker out from 98 pounds well, the, up to 140 pounds, and then he stopped knocking everybody out. Look, the ironic thing is the people that, you know, if we try to say that there's a suspicion of him, uh, of Charlo doing steroids, those are the, that's the, the same group that yelled at everybody about Pacquiao being on roids. Of course. But we can't, we can't question here, but they can question there. It's just, uh, come on. Yeah, but I, I, I watched the Chappelle show at the racial draft. I don't remember the Asians drafting any white people. No. Or vice versa. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Asians did draft the Wu-Tang Clan. They did. It's a good move. <laughs> good move. Classic move. 36 <laughs> Chambers, no doubt. Um, I mean, look, man. Uh, I think that both the Charlo brothers, regardless of, you know, what may be assumed, what, what may be kind of plain as day, but there just isn't any evidence to back it up yet, or what could just be absolute 100% conspiracy theory. I think both these guys are very gifted fighters. Oh, absolutely. But there has been an uptick, and it hasn't been a scripted heel turn. No. These guys have been piss poorly promoted. Bunch of Texans fucking fighting in Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it, it, you can't tell me that this is a calculated turn, that they're, you know, lions don't, now they're making up other shit, DHS, PCT, FOT only. Like, what? Like, what does the Q mean after LGBT? What does that mean? I don't Hubert? know. <laughs> Questioning, Ken. <laughs> Quasar. <laughs> Jesus Quasar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, look, if, if, if they had been a, a, a little bit better promoted, I think it would be more obvious, like, okay, yeah, these guys have a fucking legitimate promoter behind them. Right. It is time to fucking make the pivot, do the heel turn. Right. I don't know if that's what's going on. I I'm, I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and give them, like, some credit because I feel like, hey, you know what? They've realized that what they are in this sport, and, well, you know, they know there's a group that either hates them or loves them, and they're going to go 
let's just uh, let's just act like everybody hates us. We'll just put on this show and we'll we'll become the bad guy Charlos. I will be the Cam Newtons of boxing. <laughs> yeah, I just I'm not seeing that. You know, the thing is, is I think that the, you know, the Charlos, you know, I know, uh, you know, Jermel is at, uh, you know, at 154 right now and Jermel is at 160 pounds. But I think regardless of what may or may not be going on, these guys with or without are, you know, legitimate fighters. We've said that all along. Yeah. I've never, I've never doubted their skills as boxers. It's just, you know, finally it's start, they're starting to show us something and it's a little questionable. That's all. Yeah, I mean, why is the WBC champion? Okay, this is a point that Steve Kim made uh, on their show. I think this is a great point. The WBC is so righteous, which they are. I mean, yes, uh, what Gabe said was was correct in a lot of ways in that, that okay, this could possibly be in its infancy. And that right. when, when most startups and most companies start things, things start off slow. Then they learn their mistakes and they improve upon them. That could very well be the case, and I guarantee you, that that is part of the case, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But at the same time, if you're the WBC that is out trumpeting that this thing is, oh, the end-all, be-all, and if you're not in it, you may be questionable. Our relationship with Vada, they promote it as if, hey, we are the Bob Bennett of, we are the Bob Bennett of World Boxing Organization <laughs> or the W World Championship Mexican Green Belt, whatever you want to call it. I'll be at the bar. <laughs> but taking that stance on being like this, like righteous, like, oh, yeah, we're in the program. We have the program. We do the program. We are the program. <laughs> It's uh, if you're gonna call it clean boxing, then it's got to be clean boxing. You can't have it, you can't have it the way you have it. Like look, look at the the Wilder Ortiz situation. Completely different scenario. Ortiz is being tested weeks out of the fight, and uh, it's just where is the standard? Where is this? Is what the testing is? If especially if you are fighting for a WBC belt, or if you want to be. If you want to fight in the top 10 of the WBC, you are going to have to enter this fucking program that allots these number of tests on these weeks, on whatever, leading up to a fight. But what is with the fucking willy-nilly, well, for this guy, it works this way. Uh, He decided to pay a little bit more money, so we give a little bit more attention to his testing. For this guy over here, I mean, yeah, he's in the program, but... That's just, you know, we'll test them at some point once. Maybe we won't. Who knows? But we're clean boxing, Ken. These are the same people, Vin, that sit here and, you know, they uplift saying that Vada is the truth. Like, Vada is the purest. It is the Jesus Christ of 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 drug testing, right? WBC latches on to the tit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And they're dangling on. You know, Mauricio wants some good publicity, right? We're, we're associating ourselves with what is legit. Here's what's legit. To, to expound on what you just said about Deontay Wilder paying more to have his opponents more stringently testing. The same people that say that, that that's okay are the same people that fry USADA for taking payments 500, 1,000, 2,000% more than what they charge everybody else for Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. What's Floyd paying for? Are you just latching on to the tit because, oh, hey, he more rich. We got him at a premium. Yeah. No. 
No, that's not it at all. Floyd's paying for something. Yeah. Floyd is paying for you to turn a cheek, and Floyd is paying for you to turn that cheek towards his opponent. Yeah. Ask Andre Berto how many times he was tested. Andre Berto. I mean, the guy said he's never, ever been more tested in his entire life. And ask them, y'all testing Floyd? And they're like, eh, I don't, you don't worry about that, sir. How can you stick up for this WBC Vada thing that tests the Charlo brother, or I should say more specifically, um, Jermel Charlo in a certain way, mm-hmm. right? And test Deontay Wilder in a completely different fashion under a completely different set of standards. Yes. Is the test, the scientific test that Ooh. is being used, yes. yes, is it the same? Yes. But if you're only using that See, test even once. Know, we don't even know that, though. They could, it could be different levels of tests that they're giving, too. I, I, I Really. I, you're treading in very treacherous waters right now, yeah, then. That's what I do, Ken. <laughs> I need to see your permission slip. <laughs> I mean, I just, if you're going to trumpet your yourselves as clean boxing and and act like you're going to change the sport, I, I get it. Yeah, you roll a new company rolls out, there's some glitches. These aren't glitches. These are decisions made by people on the go with no fucking, there's, there's no guideline, no standard to work off of. So it's just the people that you're supposed to be testing are actually in control of the testing somewhat. So how's this work again? How there's, there's, nothing, there's, there's nothing shady going on here, is there, Ken? No. How <laughs> could there possibly be anything shady going on with a professional boxing sanctioning body involved? Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. No way in the world the WBC would ever bend their own rules to the advantage of the cash cow, Vin. No, there's, hey, look, I agree. Hashtag belts matter when it comes to making fights. Yeah. But let's remember who's making these belts matter. Right. You know what I mean? I've never heard anybody lend any credence or credibility to the sanctioning bodies outside of the fact that they do wield the power because of the leverage that they have. They're like, yeah, I will take 75% of it. It'll just be me sticking my hand in your pocket. And it will take 25% and be like, see, it's all legit. We made, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like we, we mandated that fight. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, to be in, in in the distant future of 2018, four years after the mandated fight, Adana Stevenson will square off against Elder Alvarez for the WBC 175-pound crown. Give me a fucking break. Right. You cannot be on, oh, Lance Armstrong, USADA, Floyd Mayweather, huge payments, and not see anything shady. No. With the WBC's association with Vada. Give me a fucking break. That's like fucking the Pope hanging out with fucking John Gotti. Give me a fucking break. He's hanging out with John Gotti. Oh, Gotti must be getting better as a human being. It couldn't possibly be that the Pope's being corrupted by the fucking mob. I love the comparison. I love it. You know what I mean? Dude, that's a fucking joke, man. Come on. You get Sorry, folks. You know, it's fucking boxing. This shit goes on. You've been watching the last, you know, your entire lives that you've been a fan. All right, drug testing expert. You better uh, be ready to get back to boxing because I cannot stand all this scientific evidence. <laughs> Too much for me, then. Too much shadiness. Oh, just, Step out of the shade, Ken. Into I mean, the light of boxing. Hey, man, I'm with the Pope. You know what I mean? <laughs> I follow the Pope. The sun always shines on the Pope. <laughs> 
until he dies and they find him fucking shit himself. All right, let's get to something worse than shitting yourself. Um, Arizlandi Lara versus uh, Terrell Galshay. Gishay? Galsha? Shay? Shay. Geisha? Geisha, yes. Galshay. Arizlandi Lara versus Terrell Galshay. Pretty much Webster's defining terminology for walkout belt. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch a punch. Not one punch. I no. mean, I, there, I had no desire. After watching what I had just seen, which was a great fight between Trout and Hurd, and a electrifying one-punch knockout. I'm, I, it's like walking away from the table up in, in Vegas. Yeah, I'm not going to fucking squander my $500 at the blackjack table back down to 100 and then put it all in because we're fucking going to the, Laura's going the distance. You're blacked out drunk. You're sitting, <laughs> out, you're sitting safe on 19. You're like, hit me. <laughs> Get up, man. I mean, I can't do it anymore with the guy. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Dude, this was really bad. I don't know how, like, look, you can argue. Nobody's ever going to know how many people were at this fight. You could say there were 3,000 there. You could say there were 10,000 there. Mm. It doesn't matter. Half of whatever that number was left when Erzlandi Lara came to the ring. That's fucking pathetic. Then it escalates, right? Lara does his typical spiel, like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to make this the worst thing I've ever watched in my entire life. That guy, the main character in Hellraiser, all those needles coming out of his head looks really comfortable right now. Um, and then probably a, a, like midway, three-quarters of the way through the fight, <laughs> this is boring. <laughs> From the crowd, this is boring. Good. Then they're counting down the last 10 seconds of every round. Going, <laughs> 10, 9, and when it's over, they start cheering. <laughs> I mean, how you got to feel in the ring? After that, I, I don't. You're the headlining fight of what was, you know, one of the biggest cards of the year, top to bottom, was a, well, a highly anticipated card, and you are the fucking main event fighter, and you are getting booed out of the arena. And 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 you know what his response is when somebody asks him, "How did you feel when they started booing you out of the arena?" Me no speaky English. Yeah, <laughs> the American dream doesn't speak English, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is kind of today's American dream, right? <laughs> yeah. Come here. Don't learn the language. Don't stand for the pledge. Fucking pee on the flag. <laughs> you know, grow an afro. Put your fists in the air. You know, imp <laughs> imp impersonate the great people of the past. Yeah. You know, pretend oh. it's reality. <laughs> Get a $750,000 check and ask, hey, we've been saying for the last. Don't forget uh, your automatic weapon at the door. Oh, that's hanging out the window firing off rounds. <laughs> that thing's constantly in the air. You know what I mean? Oh, man. I, I got a guy, because I'm so rich and, and so white privileged, I got a guy that works for me that mm -hmm. sits in the car with the AK out the window at all times. You just tell him to just shoot when, like, I just feel like hearing some, some shots pop off. Exactly. Every once in a while, he changes the muzzle, gets a little hot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, man, I mean, I, I'm going to ask this one last time, and I, I, I know I'm really beating a dead horse, and... People just say, "Hey, why are you hating?" But I don't think it's—I don't think it's at that point anymore. I think everybody is like very well uh, adjusted and sort of um, uh, adapted to the fact that this question can be asked, it should be answered, and then we need to move on in a different direction. Please. Why is Erzlandi Lara making seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for this fight? Why is Erzlandi Lara still headlining a major card paid for? 
by one of the two top boxing distributors in the world licensing fee came out of their pocket. How can Steven Espinoza even consider that anymore? And, you know, I mean, you see how the crowd reacted to this. I mean, this was on like a very extreme level. We see people just leave. Mm-hmm. They'll stay around and fucking heckle the guy. Right. They just leave. Right. Half the people left. The other half felt compelled to heckle him. <laughs> I mean, dude, that's a. I think it's that this is finally. It's, is this it's, it? It's come to fruition, dude. That's a, he's a, his career. He's killed his own career in the last two years. The way he's fought against the the opposition that he's been in the ring against, it's cost him all his credibility. It's gone. There's zero amongst any legitimate boxing fan that follows the sport. You you got to respect him for getting in the ring. I get all that, but you can also not respect his career one fucking bit. And I don't think there's you can't find me 500 people in the fucking United States of America that will make an argument for Arislandi Lara being a legitimate fighter right now. It just he's done. Why? Because like four or five fucking tenured, half retarded uh, boxing writers that fucking wank at the sight of Arislandi Lara, their their clout and 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 uh, you know what they write about him isn't fucking gold standard anymore. Then you're not gonna shove shit down my throat by telling me how great of a boxer he is okay i get it yeah the guys you know there's this this legendary uh, somewhat legendary status that followed him to the united states into america into the ring i never saw it didn't see it and it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse and i'm sorry I, i will not be served shit anymore and i don't think any of the boxing public will be either so what you're saying is Erislandi Lara is the Hillary Clinton of boxers. <laughs> it's like, what are you still doing here? Go away. The more you fight, the more you hurt yourself. That's like I was going to say John McCain, but yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I think Hillary's in better shape. What do you think? She might be. I don't know. She's looking rough. She's looking rough. She's looking like fucking making Bill look young. Oh. That's fucking tough, boy. That's all right. It's probably what our ex-girlfriends think about us. You know what I mean? No chance. <laughs> what are you talking about, pal? Thing is casting twenty-four karat gold. <laughs> it is a turtle. Hashtag cock a turtle. <laughs> oh man! All right, so let's get away from this triple header. Yes, please. Um, Jared Hurd, Austin Trout, great fight. Uh, Jermel Charlo, Erickson Lubin, man, that was crazy. Yes. Uh, Laura, anybody seen him? No. All right. So we move on to the World Boxing Super Series, George Groves versus Jamie Cox, uh, the WBA super middleweight title on the line, and a, um, what was it, a $50 bet by you then that was on the line? What did I have? I had 40 on the prop knockout, four to six, and I had 100 on the knockout George Groves win overall. So I cashed out very nicely, my (laughs) friend, to the tune of about about 240. Then was like, mm, Ken predicted fourth round knockout. It sounds like a winner. <laughs> Did you predict a fourth round? Yeah, from what I remember. But <laughs> <laughs> you know how that goes. <laughs> I leave that up to our listeners to correct us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they'll do that. Click the YouTube section, <laughs> you'll get corrected. Jamie Cox stood no chance, man. Well, no, come on. We all knew what the fuck this was. This was, this was to get ready for Groves Eubank Jr. And I'm fucking looking forward to that fight, boy. 
Gosh, I hope they promote it well. I think they will. I, I don't think there's any way these guys drop the ball on this. Can you imagine if Chris Eubanks Sr. like gets in fucking George Grove's face with his finger wag and his fucking Brooks Brothers suit, and he's like, no, sir. No, <laughs> sir. What, I mean, I just I can't imagine the exchanges back and forth between them. It's going to be great. I, yeah, I'm just thinking of how Groves reacted to Carl Frotch when Frotch was making like legitimate sane statements to him. And now you're going to have fucking the Eubank family saying off the wall, fucking ridiculous bullshit. I hopefully Groves holds it together. <laughs> Doesn't do something stupid. <laughs> I guess that is kind of the risk in this fight. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, because I don't think a lot of people would be surprised if George Groves ended up uh, winning a decision out boxing. No. Chris Eubank. I, I don't think that would surprise people at all. I think it would be surprising. But, you know, I, I, maybe we give George Groves a little bit too much credit um, and his recovery from, you know, the impact that was those two, um, you know, frotch losses, because those were on an epic scale. He'll never reach that stage again. No. You know, the impact on his life, that attention, just everything that came with that was, you know, it seemed in the, you know, the probably two, three, four fights after the last frotch fight that it definitely had impacted him. Yeah, and finally, I think you start to see a, a bit of he's probably regaining a bit of his confidence and he seems to be fighting more confidently uh this is going to be a fucking interesting fight though man because for a guy in george groves that we all know will gas out and and can gas out in the middle of fights against a kid that seemingly has a fucking non-stop motor at this point where i think a year i think shit as much as eight because as close as eight months ago to a year ago you would have asked me about this matchup and i'd have said george groves fucking steamrolls and wins nine ten rounds out boxes them makes them look stupid now ah, it's a lot closer than it used to be a lot closer yeah i think overall i think you know most people will kind of view this as a 50 50 fight i mean i think george groves is the better fighter but yeah. the, but you yes. know the factor that you just mentioned i mean that's really is the you know kind of the ace in the hole um for team eubank if mm -hmm. they're able to pressure him for the entire 12 rounds um, then it does lopside uh, slightly in the favor of, of Chris Eubank. I just don't know if how, many, how many right hands and jabs they can walk into in the process. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. This is a 160-pound division being kind of stymied and stopped um, in, in his tracks trying to implement that same aggressive style against a much smaller fighter in Billy Joe Saunders. And a, uh, I don't want to say pillow-fisted Billy Joe Saunders, but not heavy-handed at all. No, and George Gross has decent power at 168, but he's just a much bigger man right. than Chris Eubank Jr. Um, but either way, hey, if he can take whatever Chris, uh, you know, whatever George Gross has, um, you know, Chris Eubank might, have a chance in this. I think that it, it, it'll be imperative on Team Groves to bank as many early rounds as possible. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and a knockdown along the way wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be, uh, by the time this fight rolls around, the the environment and the uh, the surrounding atmosphere, uh, atmosphere of this fight is going to be ridiculous. Looking forward to it, man. It looks like it might take place in January yep. or February of 2000. I love how they're running them back quickly. Yes, sir. Um, and we have another uh, quarterfinal coming this weekend, October 21st, um, from the World Boxing Super Series quarterfinals in the cruiserweight division. It's the IBF cruiserweight champion, Murat Gassiev, squaring off against the pole, Christoph Vladarich. All right, so Murat Gassiev kind of being held out here until the end of the quarterfinals at the 200-pound tournament. Well, nobody wants to square off against a goddamn pole now, do they? What do you mean by that, Ben? I mean, you know exactly what I mean. 
<laughs> Sounds fucking horrendous. <laughs> hey, but this poll will get plenty of attention in, um, in Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and, you know, might have a decent crowd for this one. But look, man, Vladarich is so over the hill. Yeah. So over the hill. I mean, dude, he's a tough SOB. But if there's one given of most modern Polish fighters is that they they fold easier, um, you know, than a fucking picnic chair. Nah, look, you it, know what I mean? Gassiev's going to turn on the heat, and Vladarch is not going to be able to stand up to this fucking young beast uh, is the bottom line. I, I, if this fight goes past fucking six rounds, I'd be shocked. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm picking uh, third-round knockout um, by Zangief. <laughs> I can guarantee you this. I'll be dropping another prop bet on Zangief to get a knockout <laughs> in one through three or four through six, baby. <laughs> well, then I guess um, that'll do it for the cruiserweight. cruiserweight quarterfinals. We'll see you at the semifinals. I mean, that's what we've all been waiting for anyways. Great matchups in the 200-pound yes. semifinals, man. Yes. Uh, both tournaments, you know, obviously the super middleweight, the the – Last quarter of that is going to be a complete joke because it might be Rob Brandt, who nobody fucking knows. But I, look, this thing's shaped up pretty well. I'd say it's gone. The the entire tournament has has gone, come off pretty goddamn good. You got to be happy with it as a boxing fan. You've gotten good fights. You've gotten knockouts. It's headed in the right direction and looks to be like maybe we'll be able to see one of these again. Dude, yeah, I completely agree. And I, I, I think that the level – of the fighters that are involved, especially in the 200-pound semifinals. I mean, you're really getting the, you know, the cream of the crop. Well, yeah, let's let's see uh, some of these guys, whoever wins it, start flaunting the cash that they made in this thing. And you, I think you might have a few more fighters uh, a little bit more anxious to get involved in it. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Hey, and you know what? On a side note, another positive about, you know, the beginning of 2018 opening up with the semifinals of the world boxing super series is, is that it looks like all of the showtime fighters and all of the PBC Al Heyman guys that gave us this epic 2017 spectacular battle. <laughs> right. It was fucking dick out. Fantastic. Fucking stone cold. Steve Austin crushes a beer over his head. Um, you know, cause it was, it did, it was totally epic. You know what I mean? Yeah. 2017. Yeah, it was. But here's the thing. We've already seen the, the writing on the wall for 2018. It's going to be a year of rehabilitation stories and rebooting of careers because uh. we got to take the same old tired narratives and fucking wipe our ass with them, run them through the fucking dishwasher, pull them out, and run them back one more time. So while the rest of the world is doing that in the first half right. of 2018, we'll be dialed in as diehards to the semifinals from the World Boxing Super Series. Thank God, because you're right. I mean, thinking about all these, it's like, look, you wonder why guys won't take chances, fighters won't take chances, because with one loss, all of a sudden, guys like Carl Frampton and Danny Jacobs have to have a career reboot because they lost one fight? Sorry, man. Everybody knows the story. You want a fucking tune-up fight? It should have been three months ago, both of you. Millennials need a little bit more I, it, coaching it, along, Ben. I don't know, man. It's, it's, that's just some of the shit that just fires me up, man. Well, you wouldn't need a fucking reboot. You wouldn't need fucking Carl Frampton 2.0 and Danny Jacobs 7.0. You wouldn't need any of this if they, after a loss, got back in the ring 
three months later. Because yeah. both of them, in their losses, fucking, they, they made a good showing of themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nobody would have been mad at a tune-up fight uh, in, in September. No. Nobody. You would have seen him back in the ring. Now, you know, uh, the, the, the moral high ground that is Showtime in HBO has to relaunch the story of Danny Jacobs because we haven't heard from the last, I don't know, three years of PBC on Bounce, his story of how he came back from cancer. Coming back from a loss that you did well in the fight and got paid a king's ransom for mm-hmm. does not necessitate a rehabilitation story. No, it doesn't. It's a fucking annoying. It really is. And I, I hope 2018 does not just shit on the momentum that was this year for boxing. I never thought I would be saying thank you for the dick. Schaefer. That is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, Old tricky. <laughs> slid one in on you, didn't he? <laughs> never let you down. <laughs> Never let you down. All right, so a uh, little news and notes, and let's get out of here. All Billy right. Joe Saunders versus David Lemieux. Oh. Right. Is it official? It's official, baby. Give me some of that all day. Montreal, Canada, December 16th. Did you see Lemieux's tweet? No. It's official. I finally get the chance to teach this coward a lesson, lock and load, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love the dude, man. I, he, you know, he may be a limited fighter, and a lot of people think he's, you know, overrated, and that's fine. He is what he is, as far as I'm concerned. He entertains the fuck out of me in the ring, and I, I'm sorry. Watching him unload on Billy Joe Saunders will give me some pleasure. Do Billy Joe Saunders should ring walk in that pumpkin bikini he was wearing? This should be a good lead up too. I, these, these two back and forth should be should be decent. Oh, dude, Billy Joe Saunders will try to make it an S show all he can. Do you think that Billy Joe Saunders' kid will have security around him so he does not punch <laughs> David Lemieux in the D and kick him in the shin during? I, I don't. I don't know if David Lemieux being nice as, uh, as Willie Monroe was about that. What did uh uh What did BJ say about his son doing that? No, oh, yeah, it, they teach he teaches his sons if a stranger ever touches him, you punch him and run. <laughs> <laughs> He said, fuck you. Uh, punch him in the in the Peter. Oh, my God, those kids. That oh, was fucking hilarious, though. I think Billy Joe Saunders and David Lemieux is the, the kind of style makeup that's going to make a great fight. And I know so many of our UK listeners are like, what, Kenny? You just said that there's actually an opponent that could make Billy Joe Saunders exciting to watch? I think this is it. Billy Joe Saunders needs an opponent like David Lemieux to really look his best. And David Lemieux needs a guy like Billy Joe Saunders to make him look good. Come come forward versus the classic boxer. Power versus boxing. This is a great story. Yeah, it it is. It's, you know, they say styles make fights, and this should be that fight right here. Uh, I just don't. I respect Billy Joe Saunders as a boxer, and I think he's he gets doesn't get enough credit for being as good as he is. But I don't think he can hold off David Lemieux for for twelve rounds. I just don't. Think That's he can where do I it. <clears throat> no, and, and 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 I completely agree because people always talk about the styles. Is he going to back David Lemieux up with that jab? That's what I'm saying. You know, the styles make fight thing. You know, doesn't necessarily work here because in most cases, when you have the come forward brawler. Right, who's perceived to be the lesser boxer, right? Against the you know the classic boxing style, 
is that eventually the classic boxer is just going to be able to, you know, just pick him off, wear him down, slow him down. Because when he's coming in, he's going to be sloppy. He's going to be wild. He's not going to be accurate. So I'll just be able to jab him to death, one, two him to death, and probably catch him one time and drop him right. on his way in. Here's the thing with David Lemieux. David Lemieux never stops. He just keeps coming. I mean, look. What does Billy Joe Saunders have for that? I, we, we, use Hassan Endam as a, as a bit of a comparison as to what David, how David Lemieux views boxers that he knows are not going to hurt him and do any damage on his way in to knocking you the fuck out. He will be nonstop. He will keep coming. He will keep throwing huge shots. Eventually, he will catch you. And when he does catch you, this guy has some of the best power in boxing, one-punch power. It, it, I just don't see Saunders standing up to that for 12 rounds, man. Well, I guess... Um, I think he'll do well to start, but uh, he's going to fade. Back-to-back weekends, a little uh, Lomachenko, Rigo, Billy Joe Saunders, David Lemieux. That's nice. To cap off the year. Hey, you can't ask for a better cap to the year than that. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, so October 28th, we thought that we were going to be seeing Anthony Joshua versus Kubrat Pulev, but apparently he has bowed out with an injury. And Carlos Cam steps up to the plate. Uh, people are, uh, I know people are fucking heated in, in the UK. Obviously, you have the, the Eddie Hearn detractors and the people that just get tired of paying for fights, and I don't fucking blame them. But let's be honest here. Is Carlos DeCam any different of an opponent than Kubrat Pulev? Was the outcome, is this outcome going to be any different? Both of them were going to end in a knockout. It, it was a formality. So it is what it is. You either want to tune in to watch Anthony Joshua because you're you're fucking you 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 just have to see it, but it's it's no different. I mean, either way, this this fight was what it was, man. Is it just to get him back in the ring and make a little money? That's all Eddie Hearn's doing. There's no difference between the sixth and seventh ranked heavyweights in the world. Yeah, they're the same guy. No, but Ken, I mean, look, I, a little bit smaller. So be it. Who cares? They were both getting knocked out, one or the other. Yeah, we might we might get. Uh, I don't know. One less round now. <laughs> so funny that they'd be so focused on, oh, no, who lives out? The cam's in. I'd be more concerned at the fact that both opponents would get knocked to fucked out in the first five rounds of the fight, and you still had to endure one of the worst undercards of the year from matchroom boxing. I mean, that's a, that's a typical, typical fucking matchroom undercard. Horrible undercard. Good God, man. I mean, the only thing it's missing is Callum Smith batting six. Dillian White versus Robert Hellenius. Mm. Ooh. Mm. Been waiting for that one, Ken. Ooh, been waiting. But it's a domestic grudge match for the ages, Vin. <laughs> for the ages. Yeah. That's how they sell them over there, don't they? Booyakasha. Wagwan. Um, all right. So uh, I guess we can close this on um, on kind of an epic note, man. I know we mentioned it earlier in the show, but I think the one thing other than the possibility of a rematch between Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin in the first half of 2018, I can't get it off my mind. The chub will not go away. It will not subside. <laughs> is this Adonis Stevenson versus Elder Alvarez fight that is slated for 2018? It's happening, huh? This is the one I've been waiting for. I mean, this thing has actually, I think Elder Alvarez has been a mandatory challenger longer than Manny Pacquiao was the preferred opponent by fans for Floyd Mayweather. 
It's pretty fucking close, isn't it? Jeez. I mean, at this point, it's Adonis Stevenson, much along the lines of Ayers Londi Lar, has just, he's just got no fucking, there's no fans that really give a shit anymore, man. I, is the guy one of the best 175 pounders in the world? Yeah, probably. Probably is. But who cares? Who fucking cares? <clears throat> and, uh, you know, since that is the consensus regarding this guy, let's not beat the dead horse anymore. I have one question for you about Adonis Stevenson that will completely change the angle we always take on him. Okay? Mm-hmm. One question. What the fuck do you think Adonis Stevenson does in his spare time in between fighting once every 18 months? I mean, honestly, like, think about it. Like, Stage, like... What does he do? He stages random workout videos and in random bathrooms of... McDonald's. Fast food restaurants and garages and... Parties. Where, wherever he is. Where, you know, wherever he decides, he rents a Ferrari for the day and does the video. Talk about it. I'm the Superman, baby. It's, a, it's the same shit. This is a fucking guy. It's like... I... I He's a fucking joke. He's the biggest joke in boxing. He really is. I would totally do 20 or 30 sit-ups or push-ups in the parking lot of, let's say, like a truck stop, Mm -hmm. okay, before I would do fucking sit-ups in a McDonald's bathroom. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You want to fucking... It's the pimp's life, though, man, wearing fucking velour jumpsuits with cum stains on them. Fucking smelling like battered fish. <laughs> oh, I love when Adonis comes up on the show. I just want to know what he's up to, man. It's really more than anything what I want to know. He's like, what, is he, what does he do during the day? Like, I know nobody cares what I do during the day. I go to work. I come home, talk a little shit on the podcast once a week. Fucking watch football. Right. Get drunk. You know? Make a few bets. Yeah. Pretty simple, degenerative life. Right. You know? But I, at least I know what I'm getting paid every week. And like, I, I don't understand what, what Adonis does. Adonis, what are you doing right now? Where are you, Adonis? <laughs> You're the one man, the only man asking, my friend. I don't know, man. I think it all kind of stems back to the whole conversation about the WBC and how, you know, in this, you know, extremely fucked up world of professional boxing, how an organization like the WBC, who, you know, is always on the pulpit of righteousness, um, you know, can, can possibly continue to lift up a guy that gives no fucks about the WBC, no. gives no fucks about boxing, would not even be in the social media conversation of the sport if the WBC didn't post a fucking transpose green fucking Photoshop picture of Adonis Stevenson looking like the Incredible Hulk. Saying WBC 175 champion of the month. <laughs> and I sit here and think about, hold on a second. Is this the count? Like it was just his turn in the calendar? Or <laughs> are you sure you're not the WBA? <laughs> Who else would be the WBC champion of the month? <laughs> <laughs> super regular, super irregular champion, the Duckness Chickenson. Look, here's what I want to see. November 25th, I want to see Kovalev versus Shabransky. It's going to be a great fight. And I just want to see a fucking grudge match. Give me a Donna Stevenson, Sergey Kovalev. The loser goes home forever. uh, (laughs) That would be fucking awesome. And at some point, both of them have to finally come together and say, there's no fucking money to make in this sport. We ruined this fight that should have been made three years ago. But let's do it now because people will still give a fuck. 
If there's a belt on the line and these two fought, uh, everybody would fucking tune in. Absolutely, man. Everybody. Absolutely. You know, Adonis will be like, let me, uh, let me win the fight. I will let you borrow my Ferrari. It's an interesting Adonis voice. There. <laughs> That's how I imagine he speaks. I don't know the Haitian lingo. I wanted to do, a, you know, a Jamaican voice, but like, hear me now, crusher. Come get crushed now. <laughs> but he's from Haiti, so there's a little French in there. Yeah, you went a little too French. You went fruity <laughs> French. Wee <laughs> wee. Wee wee. Um, well, I guess that'll do it for episode 184, huh? Let's get out of here, brother. We had some fun. As they say on this show, I think it went off the rails again. Oh, it always does. Those are the good ones, though. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get the fuck out of here. Please. It's been episode 184 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. We appreciate all of you tuning in once again as we break down the triple header of the junior middleweight contest that took place this weekend at the Barclays Center. Jermel Charlo reigns victorious. Jared Hurd makes a statement, and Ares Lodney puts everybody to sleep. But it's time to wake up, motherfuckers, because you're listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. and follow Vince Cummings at Vince Cummings81 and drop by theboxingrant.com today and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. Yeah, that's right, man. Wake your goat mouth ass up, Ken. (laughs) Get it right. Get it right. Tonight, episode 184 of the Tale of the Tape. Just two cracker-ass crackers bringing you the thunderous notes on the world of professional prize fighting. Tune in next week to episode 185 of the Tale of the Tape on theboxingrant.com. (laughs) <laughs> Muchas gracias, everybody.